Welcome to Episode 7 of Historic Boston, Beacon Hill, a walking tour of one of Boston's best-known but least-explored neighborhoods. From the Susan Paul House at 36 West Cedar, we will continue south a block and a half, crossing over Mount Vernon Street and stopping at Acorn Street. Please continue listening to this episode while you walk. When the land for the State House was purchased in 1795, it set off real estate speculation on Beacon Hill. Developers purchased open land in the sparsely populated areas on the South Slope, hoping to build homes for wealthy citizens. One of the best-known land speculators in this era was the Mount Vernon proprietors, which purchased and developed 30 acres on the South Slope starting in 1795. While the membership of the proprietors changed over the years, it included several notable wealthy citizens, including Jonathan Mason, Harrison Gray Otis, Charles Bullfinch, and Hepziba Clark Swan, the only woman in the partnership. One of their initial land purchases was from the famous American painter John Singleton Copley, who is best known for his portrait paintings of notable people from the colonial era. You can still see Copley's works today in the Boston Museum of Fine Arts. The Mount Vernon proprietors are responsible for the grid of streets you see today. After purchasing the land, they regraded it to lower the steep peaks by constructing a gravity railroad to haul the dirt away. Rather than remove the dirt from the neighborhood, they used it to fill the shoreline at the base of the hill, making space for today's Charles Street. This had the double benefit of providing a road around the western edge of Beacon Hill, while also making new buildable land for the proprietors to develop. Over three years, the proprietors flattened the land and built the grid of streets, including the one on which you stand now. The first houses that were built were large freestanding mansions with gardens and stables and carriage houses. But the proprietors also built double houses, freestanding homes designed for two separate families, and would also erect rows of houses on entire blocks. Within just two decades, Beacon Hill was transformed from a rural cow pasture that was too steep for homes, to a fashionable neighborhood for the well-to-do. It was so fashionable that it was common for wealthy citizens in this era to buy daughter houses, which were homes purchased to allow their children to live nearby. In 1807, President Jefferson issued an embargo on trade with France and Britain, resulting in an economic downturn that halted most of the construction on Beacon Hill. It wasn't until after the War of 1812, in the late 1810s, that the second major phase of development of the neighborhood would continue. This decade would pass the torch to a new set of developers and architects who would focus more on raising entire blocks of row houses. It was in this era that West Boston, which bordered on the North Slope, would be cleaned up to make it a respectable middle-class neighborhood. But this era came to an end with the economic slowdown of the Panic of 1829, which then would be followed by the final phase of rapid development in the 1830s. By the 1840s, the three phases of development on the hill had made use of almost all the buildable land. You can still see this phase development in the distinct styles of the homes in Beacon Hill today, with federal styles dominating during the first two phases, giving way to Greek revival in the 1830s, some Victorian in the 1840s, and then with flourishes of each style added to different homes over time based on changing fashions and tastes. We will be looking at houses from each of the phases of development. Please pause this episode as needed as you move between stops. 
Stop 1, Acorn Street. You should be standing at the intersection of West Cedar and Acorn Street. Across from Acorn Street are row houses built in 1827 that provide a great example of an entire block from the second phase of the development of Beacon Hill. These houses were built by Cornelius Coolidge, who is one of the best examples of the emerging dual role of designer builders. Acorn Street is one of the most photographed streets in the United States. These homes were built in the late 18th and early 19th century, and the cobblestone street gives us a glimpse of what Beacon Hill looked like in the horse and buggy era. Stop 2, Lewisburg Square. Let's backtrack on West Cedar Street until it intersects with Mount Vernon and head up the hill. I recommend walking on the left side of the street. A short way up the hill, you will see on your left a park surrounded by rows of houses. Welcome to Lewisburg Square, one of the most exclusive locations on Beacon Hill. Take a left into the square and walk around the park to return back to Mount Vernon Street. These Greek Revival homes were built in the third phase of development in the 1830s and 1840s. Some of the famous residents here included Charles Bullfinch, John Singleton Copley, and Louisa May Alcott. This is also the current home of John Kerry, former Secretary of State and presidential candidate, and his wife, Teresa Hines, the widow to the heir to the Hines Company. Teresa Hines was the subject of local controversy in the 1990s after a newspaper published a picture of her car illegally parking in front of a fire hydrant outside her home. But the secretary and his wife had the last laugh, paying to move the fire hydrant to a new location. Lewisburg Square has the oldest homeowners association in the United States. Just east of here was the former location of one of the three peaks of Tri-Mountain, which the British soldiers referred to as Mount Hordom. During the British occupation of Boston in the Revolutionary War, a battery was located on this peak that fired on George Washington's troops in Cambridge. Stop 3. The Charles Bullfinch House, 87 Mount Vernon Street. This is a great example of a double home, which was built in 1809 for Charles Bullfinch by the developer-architect Jeremiah Gardner. The house shows examples of accents added to the home over time with one side in Georgian style and the other in Greek Revival. The Wright House is the home of the Colonial Society of Massachusetts, a nonprofit dedicated to publishing documents on the colonial history of the state. The Colonial Society will periodically open the home to visitors for local events such as the Beacon Hill Holiday Wreath Tour. Stop 4. The Harrison Gray Otis House, 85 Mount Vernon Street. This is the second home built for Harrison Gray Otis, one of the founders of the proprietors. It was built in 1802 and is one of the best remaining examples of a freestanding mansion on Beacon Hill. This home once had a larger property that included stables in the back. Otis would live in this house for five years before moving to another location on Beacon Street. There are very few remaining examples of freestanding mansions on Beacon Hill, with most demolished by the 1840s to make room for new row houses. This home also has an interesting connection to The Thomas Crown Affair, a 1968 hit movie starring Steve McQueen and Faye Dunaway. You may know this movie better by the 1999 remake starring Pierce Brosnan. The original movie was set in Boston and tells the story of a millionaire businessman who secretly robs a bank only to be pursued by a determined insurance investigator. Several scenes from the movie were filmed on Beacon Hill, including inside and outside this home. 
Ironically, this movie inspired a copycat crime. In 1969, a bank teller in Ohio, who was reported to have been obsessed with the Thomas Crown affair, stole $215,000 from his employer and promptly disappeared. While the story appeared on the TV crime shows America's Most Wanted and Unsolved Mysteries, his whereabouts remained unknown. The story would finally be solved in 2021, when documents left to the family of a man who died of lung cancer revealed his true identity. The bank robber had died in a suburb of Boston, just miles from the location of the movie that inspired his crime. It is believed he moved to Boston to be closer to the movie, even living for a time on Beacon Hill. Stop 5. The Swan Stables, 50, 56, and 60 Mount Vernon Street. These low houses are the former stables for three daughter houses that reside on Chestnut Street. The three homes were built in 1805 and 1807 by Hebzibah Clark Swan, the only woman partner in the Mount Vernon proprietors. She gave these homes to her daughters on their wedding day. You can still see these three daughter houses rising above and behind the homes that now reside at 50, 56, and 60 Mount Vernon Street. The stables have since been turned into houses and have survived at their current stature due to a 13-foot height restriction in the deed. Stop 6, 59 Mount Vernon Street. This home is one of the best examples of the 1830s movement toward Greek revival. It was built in 1837 and is one of five homes that were constructed from the demolition of a freestanding mansion for Jonathan Mason. Greek revival homes are known for being more somber and heavier in their design. It's also common for them to have stone basements that are above ground and ornate post-beam entrances. Stop 7. The Daniel Webster House, 57 Mount Vernon Street. The home at 57 Mount Vernon Street is one of several row houses here that once belonged to Jonathan Mason. This one was lived in over time by both Daniel Webster and Charles Francis Adams. Webster was a lawyer and statesman who served as Secretary of State for three U.S. presidents. Charles Francis Adams was a diplomat, writer, and politician who was the son and grandson of two U.S. presidents, John Quincy Adams and John Adams. Stop 8. The Nichols Museum, 55 Mount Vernon Street. This federal-style house was built by the Mount Vernon proprietors in 1804 from a Charles Bullfinch design. It was one of four houses built on behalf of Jonathan Mason, one of the original founders of the Mount Vernon proprietors. The museum that now resides here preserves in time the life on Beacon Hill of two generations of the Nichols family, from the late 19th to the early 20th century. This was the home of Rose Standish Nichols, one of the first well-known female landscape architects in the United States. She was a lifelong pacifist who used her home as a salon for promoting international friendship. Stop 9. The Portia School of Law, 45 Mount Vernon Street. While this is not one of the iconic houses of Beacon Hill, the home at 45 Mount Vernon Street was the former location of the Portia School of Law. The school started in 1908, when two women wanted to take the Massachusetts bar exam. This school grew over time with a focus on providing legal education to women. In 1923, Blanche Woodson Braxton, a graduate from the school, would become the first African-American woman admitted to the Massachusetts bar. Stop 10, the Somerset Club, 42 Beacon Street. After your stop at the Portia School of Law, 
continue south on Joy Street until you return to Beacon Street. Take a right on Beacon and walk down the hill. On your right, as you walk, you will come across a majestic white granite building at 42 Beacon Street with two curved bays on each end. This house was built in 1819 for Colonel David Sears and was designed to be a granite version of his father-in-law, Jonathan Mason's house. Since 1871, this has been the home of the exclusive Somerset Club, which was often associated in the 19th century with Boston Brahmins. If you find out how to get a membership application, please let me know. Stop 11, the third Harrison Gray Otis House, 45 Beacon Street. To the left of the Somerset Club at 45 Beacon Street is one of the remaining freestanding mansions on Beacon Hill. This 1806 house was the third and final home of Harrison Gray Otis, one of the wealthiest citizens in Boston and one of the founders of the Mount Vernon proprietors. The house was designed by Charles Bullfinch and is one of only a dozen or so homes still standing that can be directly attributed to him. This concludes our episode. Please start the next episode to continue with our tour.